You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Liam, I want to remake 1944's Gaslight. Oh, yeah, that'd be pretty relevant right now. That's a great idea. And I want it to be over a wacky romantic comedy. Ooh, uh, I have some notes. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the show where we have snippy, sardonic relationships with movie scripts, only to find out we're the ones who've been writing them all along. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are going to notarize You've Got Mail. Uh, appropriately enough, we are once again also recording using the medium of online, which, yes. which is very thematically in... Uh, <laughs> in tune with this week's movie yeah how far how far we've come you know we <laughs> from a movie with we're, we're talking about a movie with dial-up modem featured exclusively does anyone feel nostalgic for that sound like just a little bit oh, or, does it, like, or does it still irritate you <laughs> no that's to me that's still like the sound of the internet if you played me that sound i would know that was shorthand for going online yeah yeah it's, it's, like it's how, just a cool sound yeah it's like how a telephone, like, your your phone makes a click sound when you take a picture, and not because it has to, but because your brain knows that that's the sound a camera makes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, you can have your phone ring, even though there's no bell inside of it, but you know that that's a shorthand for a telephone for that you need to answer. That's the same thing with the dial-up modem sound for me, except in this case, for going online. It's just, it's the sound that the internet makes. Makes me wonder what would be the touchstone for our kids for the internet. Like, would there be a central touchstone? I guess not, eh? Like, the it internet probably... is just so all-inclusive. It's just, like, a part of their life. Well, like, or I was just... talking to people about how, like, the, 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 the Apple phone ring is the new phone ring sound. Like, if they need a phone to ring in a movie, they, they use the Apple phone ring. I, I imagine that kids would uh, understand going online as uh, cartoon characters flossing like they do in Fortnite. <laughs> Like, that's, that's the new internet thing, right? It's just all Fortnite now? Okay, that was a, that was a reference I did not pick up on. <laughs> Do not understand Fortnite. I've played Fortnite, and I didn't pick up on that at all. Oh, the flossing the dance? I just, I, yeah, the first, I don't know why, I know what flossing the dance is, but for some reason that is not where I immediately associated your, your reference. I was like, what are you talking about flossing? Yeah. Oh, you meant the dance, yeah. I think yeah, the point I, I'm trying I thought, to make. I, could, <laughs> we're all I kind of thought, like, Ellen had invented it. The uh, the point I'm trying to make is that all the kids these days are doing on the internet is Fortniteing, right? That's that's what they do now. Yes, and podcasting, and vlogging, or just <laughs> vlogging and we're, you know we're so, we're so cool, guys. We're so yeah, with this it, is right. <laughs> we're we're definitely not aging. Almost millennials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're very on the far end. I'm I'm peak millennial i don't know about you guys uh, uh but yeah, yeah this, this movie just was bef- definitely just a, before millennial yeah this whole part is probably just gonna get cut right out of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, it's wacky banter, Scott. It, all, every podcast has got to have it. Yeah, this is uh, this is what this is what endears us. Uh, like like uh, a squirmy little Meg Ryan, we're we're endearing you uh, to us before uh, we there really we go. Uh, Bring get it all through the ropes. Good oh, job. I'm yeah. I'm a consummate professional. Don't you worry. Uh, yeah, this is uh, stars Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, uh, among uh, another cast: uh, Greg Kinnear, Parker Posey, uh, and uh, was from 1999, I believe. Poor Greg Written Kinnear, just like, constantly typecast as nice guy who finishes last. Yeah. I also didn't realize written and directed by Nora Ephron until we started. Uh, yeah, started doing this, and more more over. I didn't realize uh, that it was based on a uh, uh, a 1937 Hungarian play that was adapted into a movie called The Shop Around the Corner. Uh, so everything is a remake, including this thing that you didn't think could possibly be a remake. Yeah, the uh, the. Sh- her store was specifically named the shop around the corner as uh, as a kind of tip of the hat to that uh, movie remake. Mm-hmm. Let me- Though, Greg, in your pitch, you had uh, suggested remaking a film called Gaslight, which was uh, uh, I, I did not realize re- the reference you're making, and and but I, I quite like it. I think actually that's a much more appropriate uh, old movie with which to uh, say that this film was based on. Yeah. This film for me was kind of a wild ride. And I and I think you guys maybe have picked up on that when I was texting you while I was watching it. That at first yeah, at first uh, I was I was really bored. Uh <laughs> that was the that was the first like half hour and then I was kind of intrigued and interested. It got kind of fun mm-hmm. and uh, intriguing and then <laughs> and then it got boring again and then it got uh, really problematic, and then it got intensely problematic. So yeah. it was. Greg it was had just... to stop booing long <laughs> enough to record this episode. Yeah, it was. Uh, I did not realize this was the the story this took. Of course, this is the the, the film uh, about two people who, uh, at least if you if you've never seen this movie, you're just sort of what it's known in the cultural zeitgeist as the movie where Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks exchange uh, emails over America Online uh, and don't realize that they. Uh, their pen pal is this person that they've met in their life as well. Uh, fun on paper, uh, but uh, yeah, it definitely takes a turn in Act 3, but uh, perhaps we'll we'll hear from the trailer uh, first. I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. What is going on with you? Is it infidelity if you're involved with someone on email? This woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with. Have you had sex? Of course not. I don't even know her. Mm, I mean cyber sex. No. Well, no, don't do it. Because the minute you do, they lose all respect for you. In a city where everyone's looking for someone, Joe and Kathleen have discovered the best way to meet someone. <gasps> Hi. Is to never meet at all. We just email. It's really nothing. I don't know his name or what he does. Look, 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 look. Or where he lives exactly. What? He couldn't possibly be the rooftop killer. What they don't realize. What is that? What are you doing? You're taking all the caviar? That caviar is a garnish. Is they already have. Just Joe Fox. I'm in the book business. I am in the book business. What should I have said to a man who has made my professional life a misery? Tell me something, really. How do you sleep at night? Fight. Fight to the death. In life, they're at odds. She's beautiful, but she's a pill. Online, they're in love. Do you think we should meet? Meet? 
Kathleen Kelly is a sweet, adorable bookstore owner with a heart of gold, but she has a secret. For months, she's been emailing another man behind her boyfriend's back. Joe Fox is the corporate head of a massive bookstore chain, and he's got a secret. For months, Joe's been emailing another woman behind his girlfriend's back. Kathleen's store is a gem beloved by all in her neighborhood until Fox Books opens up around the corner. Joe's new location is set to take off when Kathleen's tiny shop around the corner rallies the community against him. Kathleen and Joe's businesses go to war, the stress of which would be unbearable if they didn't have the support of their respective secret digital pen pals. But twist! Joe is Kathleen's email crush and Kathleen is Joe's email obsession. Oh, what a recipe for wackiness and romance. How will these two modem-crossed lovers ever get together now? Well, it's going to take a whole lot of lies, deceit, and manipulation. Wait, no, that that can't be right. Craig, that can't be right, can it? <laughs> Unfortunately, it is very correct. Yeah, uh, cringe-worthily so. Uh. Yeah, it's it's deranged in its uh, uh, manipulative and uh, <laughs> um, duplicity. This movie is duplicitous. Like, I here's the thing: on paper, the pitch sounds interesting because it's the it's the old mistaken identity star-crossed lovers. Oh. It's, it's based on a 1937 Hungarian play called well, Parfumerie. I mean, I mean, even like this is this is a story as old as Shakespeare. But Precisely. <laughs> the uh, but the twist here is that one of the characters finds out the other's secret identity partway through the movie before the other one does, and that int- that creates an interesting uh, conflict and an interesting dilemma. The problem is that it also. It also creates a problematic power imbalance in the relationship, and it mm-hmm. makes much of the rest of the movie really cringeworthy, especially in 2020, because in this case, it's the man who has the power imbalance over the woman. Yeah. It's not It's not just that there's that power imbalance. It's that the power imbalance is never resolved. Yeah. No, certainly not. When when it's when she, Meg Ryan finally finds out that it was Tom Hanks gaslighting her all along, you know, the movie is done. <laughs> yeah, the movie's over, and she was just like, "I was hoping it would be you." I'm and so glad this is what like, it is. Yeah, and you're like, "Wow, Barf." Yeah, it it he the, like I kind of I was sort of on board with it as like a he'll learn his lesson premise when he was like, um just like he knew and she didn't like that I think is like got us like you can you can walk on eggshells with that but it's when he takes it one step farther to start like being her a part of her life as himself and like goading her like himself, he yeah. said what your email pen pal said what what a goof uh knowing full well that's him like it really like that's where I felt like uncomfortable where I'm like yeah, you're fully manipulating her it's basically when he he hatches his own plan to manipulate uh, her into thinking uh, his digital self is a shitbag, and that's where it's kind of like mm, this is starting to get a little gross for me. Yeah, he wingmans himself in a really weird way. Yeah, and uh, and it's yeah, it's just it's it's a relationship that's built on deceit. Like even if he was being fairly honest with her in his online persona, like with his real thoughts and his real feelings, the fact remains that 
to her face, he was lying to her this whole time. And he was deceiving her about who he really was. And there's no consequence for him. Because yeah. late 90s rom-com, the woman is a prize and he wins her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's weird, though, because the like if you think about it, You've got male kind of ends at the second act where where most uh romantic comedies would have a whole nother act. You know, like usually like the you know, you, you establish your your wacky romantic comedy premise, the the two have their meet cute and then there's a long build up to the point where they're almost together, they're they're you know, there's been a little spark, there's some romance going, and then one character or the other um, reveals something that basically just splits them apart. And that's the yeah. end of this movie. That's the thing that Tom Hanks does where he does something terrible. Yeah. And Meg yeah. Ryan's just like, nah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's she's a really good real, observation, yeah. She's real quick to forgive him for lying to her and manipulating her and also driving her mother's beloved bookstore out of business. Um, See, that, I would argue, that would, I would argue that she... Bridge. I would argue that she doesn't forgive him at all. Like she, what she, she doesn't think he did anything wrong. There's no, there's no forgiveness. She just, she's just like, I was hoping it was you. Meaning, I, I was happy that you were manipulating me all this time. That, and actually, that's that's the part I really did find the most uncomfortable. To the point where uh, there's a bunch of things that these movies and kind of you guys have, and and the audience in general are supposed to have a huge problem with that I really don't. One is that he's putting the little bookstore out of business. Like, it is just business. Like, that's you can't really, like, he's not actively trying to, like, hurt, you know, people in his neighborhood uh, economically. He's just, he's running a business. And the other one, um, and it was kind of in our plot summary when it's like, ooh, they're emailing people behind each other's backs or, like, like it's it's got a cute setup where they're, like, sort of sneaking to their computer to email. But, like... I, I don't like when you like I don't think it's really that bad that they're having this like email liaison while they're in relationships like I don't think it's that real big a deal like I think it's you know it's Nita very... and I actually had this discussion yeah. about this because I I was like they're kind of cheating on each other's respective partner and Nita was like but are they because it's just an online sort of friendship yeah. and, I, and I countered with they might not be physically cheating with this other person on their spouse or not their spouses on their significant others, but they are, they are lonely with their significant others because they're not fulfilled in those relationships. And that's established early on. And they are emotionally cheating on their significant others with this other person online. And that, that does count for something. And they both clearly on some level recognize that what they're doing is wrong and unfair to their SO because they're doing it behind their back. They're sneaking around. And so the, it it is kind of cheating. It's not necessarily they're having they're like having yeah. sex behind someone's back, but it is a it is a kind of relationship cheating. And but it's that's a very like presented mono- that way. Okay, yeah, but it's a it is presented that way. I guess I see. I don't even think it's presented that way. I think the sneaking thing is just more meant to be early movie cuteness. Um, and and sort of what you're describing is very much like a like um hyper monogamous take on on sort of how things should be there's really like you can have emotional relationships with people like you like i don't know i just but it's it's the fact that they're sneaking around it's the dishonesty 
like they're neither of them are are honest with Parker Posey or Greg Kinnear that they're having this other. But I feel this, like some of that intimate f- online friendship, and that and that does tiptoe into the realm of cheating, as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned. Fair enough. I, I, I saw this. I saw the sneakiness more as a like I don't want to be caught emailing because I'm not. I don't want to be a nerd because like Greg Kinnear's like those things. Those oh, yeah, things are going to undo society. <laughs> because Greg Kinnear is a total hipster in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I love Greg Kinnear in this movie. I think it, at best it's it's somewhat unclear why they're. Be, uh, being sneaky and um and why I also like I wasn't entirely certain why they were um why they agreed to not share personal details about their life well that keeps it fun and flirty I, yeah, I guess I, and, it, and it, it's I strange it, it's strange believability that you could have like a really intimate relationship with someone without sharing like personal details of your life, but uh, you know, maybe there's a way of making it happen. The, well, there's I, it's that it's it's the same reason why people online say terrible things because they're protected by anonymity. In this case, they feel more able to be emotionally vulnerable with this other person because they don't really know who this person is. So it's a mm-hmm. little safer because there's that that step. There, it's one step removed, and I, and I can understand where that's coming from. And, and I mean, this this doesn't play necessarily nowadays outside of a thriller where someone meets someone online and like starts being intimate with them. And then it turns out they're being catfished or stalked or something terrible. <laughs> yeah. There's a certain uh, novelty to this. Uh, in fact, in some of the facts I was reading, Meg Ryan got her very first computer during the filming, according to uh, IMDb. Uh, that's adorable. <laughs> so there's a real novelty to it too. I think of like, yeah. Yeah. It's still, it, it's, it came out still in kind of like the early days of like, um, social. I'm going to call it social media, but it was like, almost proto social media. Yeah. Uh, but the thing had, too like, is chat is, rooms and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. His, his deceit at the end though, his like the last third of the movie where he's lying to her is unreasonable. No matter which way you cut it and no matter which era this, oh, t- yeah. like you could have been doing the same thing with pen pals and it doesn't make it okay. Like, yeah, it's, it's, he gets away with it because it's a late nineties rom-com, but the reality of the situation is, it's pretty cringy, and especially now, it in hindsight, it's real problematic. Yeah, it's. I think it's also deeply unsatisfying too that that, yeah. that the main conflict in the movie is never resolved to me. Not really. Anyway, uh, it just doesn't. It just doesn't feel like there's any reconciliation for what the two characters were going through the entire movie. Kinda, like the yeah. the fact that he the fact that he never reveals to her that she, he's her pen pal is like that that's to me that's more of the central con- conflict to the movie than than the whole uh, business thing tiny shop versus a big corporate conglomerate thing yeah 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 that like you were saying I think you're, it was accurate that they, yeah it doesn't have that like you know in the hero's journey of a rom-com the like the death and rebirth is the like the transgression that breaks the couple apart and yeah yeah, this movie full-on doesn't have it like the the great death in this movie is the the bookstore uh but she's fine she bounces back immediately like she says it's like the mother died all over again and then in the next scene she's just like i'm i'm sick and quirky 
Yeah. <laughs> There's, I, I, that was a weird choice to make her sick in that scene. I wasn't quite, I didn't quite get that. Also, it but, was kind of gross that he barges in and yeah. kind of impresses on and, her despite the fact that And she just like crawls leave. into bed and then just like, he's just in Touches her, her bedroom. Yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> talking in, talking this person, you kind of, your frenemy into bed is like a weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's weird flex wild. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, were, we were talking Kinnear a second ago. Uh, I, I think that might be a, a, a big keep as well. But are there any strong things, you, like big keeps, before we start hacking this thing apart? Uh, what, oh, what do we I like? I think the entire quirky secondary cast is pretty fun. The secondary cast And I would 100% laps. keep them. And that includes Parker Posey and Dave Chappelle and Greg Kinnear and uh, the, uh, the elder foxes and his 11-year-old aunt and his weird stepmom. Like, all of them are quirky, wonderful little color characters. And my only issue with him is that in the third act, they all just are gone. Like, everyone disappears. And there's no satisfying conclusion to any of them. And I want to not only keep them, but I want to keep them through the whole movie. <laughs> and not just somehow lose them all partway through. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like... I. <laughs> The, the first half mo- half hour of the movie introduces a lot of characters, um, like you say, Scott, that are just, like, completely... Uh, like, they, the, the only purpose that they serve is to basically get Joe into the shop around a corner, right? Yeah, more or less. And then, and then there, their role is done. See you later. Like, all the, all the secondary connector, uh, characters that are connected to to, uh, to Joe, aside from his dad, are all... They, they all just get... Uh, plum forgotten about, which is kind well, of unfortunate. But here's the weird thing: it's basically all the same. All the characters who are attached to Meg Ryan as well to Kathleen, mm-hmm. all of her bookstore staff, and Greg Kinnear also by the third act are just gone. They've all disappeared from her life. No, Greg Kinnear gets a good. He gets a good set. Off. Yeah, well, that's yeah. fine. I, like, Posey, I actually, he and Parker the- Posey do have a little send off because obviously, before Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan can hook up, their SOs need to both. Yeah, yeah, they get X'd, but like the, but all like the other the, characters. I literally wrote down. Um, there's a line where the 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 um, student character that works part time in the bookstore is like, "If I can't work, I'm not going to graduate." Like, she's really worried that if she can't have part time hours, she won't be able to finish her like studies, and, and we, we never, never hear, hear from her again. again. We don't. Yeah. Did she? <laughs> she like Steve Zahn apparently got a job at the bookstore or the the, the, the Fox Books. That's fine, but she's the, fucked apparently. Like she. And the old lady I, was probably with Generalissimo Franco in the sixties. <laughs> so okay, I want to read you guys. Um, now we're on the subject of characters connected to Kathleen. I want to read you guys a section of my notes that I was writing down uh, while I was watching this movie, and it's in the context of the opening scene where we first see Kathleen's screen name, which is Shop Girl. And I wrote, Shop Girl, is that is that sexist? And then I, and then I keep going down as I'm watching the movie. Nope, she owns a shop. Nope, correct that. She works at a bookshop. Uh, wait, no, she owns the store. Who's the lady then? That's the old lady, right? Uh, and then I thought, oh, it's her mother. Nope, not that either. Birdie is someone. <laughs> and then later on, they reveal that she she tells Kathleen that she's, or uh, Kathleen says she's practically her surrogate mother. But the movie, it, like, I never felt the movie ever made clear, like, who she was at all. Like, I literally thought she was her mom, her, her mother at first. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I was waiting for, a, like, a weird thing they set up and never pay off, where, like, the grandfather, like, Papa Fox, 
Fox Senior Senior is like, oh, that shop around the corner. Yeah, I went on a date with this old lady one time. She oh. or, no, she wouldn't have been old oh, at the yeah. time, but. <laughs> And oh, I'm like, got, oh, my I've God. Got... And they're, they're like, we exchanged letters. And I'm like, oh, that's too fucking cute. They're going to have, like, their own, like, parallel thing where they meet. And then, no, the mom's dead, and that never comes up again. In fact, he has no more lines. Uh, I will do you one more. There is a rule of comedy threes that is totally fumbled by this movie. It's totally <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Because Tom Hanks leaves Parker Posey and sets up shop in his... Uh, yacht, the Fox 3. And then his dad gets uh, cheated on by his stepmom, and he moves out, and he moves into the larger next door yacht, the Fox 2. And at no point does this movie have the grandfather Fox also end up having to shack up in his yacht, and it pans over and reveals an even bigger yacht that is the yeah. Fox 1. And yeah, I, I was I, waiting I for that to happen, and the movie <laughs> too. didn't give it to me. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, oh yeah, like we'll we'll see the next one at some point, and yet never never reveal that. The <laughs> I'm glad rule, you pointed the that out, The rule of Scott, comedy threes that. was totally, <laughs> like, they totally left us wanting on that one, and I'm disappointed, movie. Um, I feel like the if speaking of things that we're we're going to cut because this is that's the sounds like we, we move yeah, I, mean, I think greg this. so far greg kinnear is about the only thing i think we all agree on <laughs> oh no i, I actually really like, like most of the supporting cast the, or sorry yeah. not, I, that was a little uh, uh reductive i just meant like yeah we, we just talked about how great the side cast was and then we're back to chopping <laughs> up the main yeah once the once the 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 war between the um, small shop in the big bookstore gets going. I, Once I they feel go to like, the mattress. like, yeah, like the movie comes alive at that point. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's a lot of good conflict and it gets funny. And, uh, and I, and I, I like the interactions between, um, uh, Hanks and Meg Ryan at that point. I think they're doing, they're doing some really good work and it's, there's a couple of good scenes, um, between secondary characters, that, like, um, that scene that you didn't like Liam with uh, with Dave Chappelle, I mean that's that's a oh I like that scene quite. That was a great scene. I just was like that didn't he did not need to mention food stamps apropos yeah. of nothing. Like yeah, <laughs> and and once we get into the um, when t- Tom Hanks, you know, invites the, his online crush to to meet together, and he finds out who she is. Um, we get a really good scene where he he decides like no I'm I I don't like this person I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna meet her and then he then he decides you know I'm I'm you know I'm gonna try and uh, I'm gonna have a chat with her and see what she actually thinks of me and there's like really interesting dynamics going on there and it's all very fascinating and 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 if it weren't if the movie didn't get super problematic after that. Um, I, I would have been thoroughly entertained, but uh, I found I found the 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 third act thoroughly frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the fun kind of deceit where he's like, he sits down, he's like, "Oh, you're waiting for someone." Like that's when it's cute, but when it's like ongoing for weeks at a time, it's yeah. like, ugh. That's, yeah. yeah, and, and you, you kind of get that. You can kind of argue that at that point, um, Tom Hanks's character um, might have revealed who he was. But then he gets he gets insulted by Kathleen, and that sort of you know 
splits them and and they go mm-hmm. their their separate ways and so so you can argue that like at that point Tom Hanks is is you know he's being cutesy and and he's kind of he's 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 deceiving her a little bit but he's all, like he's he's not doing it in a mean spirited way you know uh, or manipulative then, yeah. yeah or a manipulative way yeah I guess like I mean maybe he's never doing anything in a mean spirited way uh, yeah but he's certainly he's per- he certainly gets real selfish. Uh, towards mm-hmm. the end of the movie, which is yeah, yeah that's a big problem. But yeah, uh, up until that point, it's the movie's pretty good, except for the. I mean, I would change some stuff in the in the beginning because it's boring. But the 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 middle of it is pretty. Solid. Yeah, what? Why? Why did they have to show? Like, was it just to make him look likable for how reprehensible he's going to be? But I didn't understand why he's playing with his dad's, you know, fiance's kids. Oh, that was just so he. Uh, they needed to. F- they needed a reason for him to to go to the bookstore, the her shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it just. It was like, quite the stretch. They, yeah, no, those I, kids never show up again, which is kind of frustrating because they could have. They could have been like you know that Dave Chappelle's like, kids. Um, well, they, I guess you know what I mean. Like them. no, yeah. I, I actually like the weird Fox family dynamic that that establishes, especially because it shows just how weirdly kind of dysfunctional his like. His relationship with women is clearly colored by his grandfather and his father's relationships with women. And the fact that he has an 11 year old aunt and a five year old brother and he's in his 40s is just so weird and kind of hilarious in a weird way. I take that back. Yeah. No, that's fair. So that was a cute scene. It's like, that's my aunt. Yeah. If those kids would have shown up again to act as his um, moral barometer. You know yeah. that I think that might yeah. have been a good button uh, button up for those for the for the kids. Well, especially because the kids both like Kathleen. Yeah, like right from Hop, they think she's the cat's pajamas, and then they never like like all of the other secondary characters. They are never seen or heard from again. Yeah, and then I, that would go into a cut I had and and a fix that sort of, I guess for later, but I'm doing it now. The fact that he they get stuck in that elevator and that's his like eye opening moment when he's like, I was with a man in an elevator and he knew what he wanted. I'm like, we've never seen that guy before. And you already have a whole cast of lovable characters who could have helped you yeah. get to that. Like moral yeah. realization. That could have been the kids, who Dave Chappelle, yeah. Steve Zahn, the grandma, the dad, like, yeah, I found yeah. that elevator scene wildly out of place. Very out of place. And it felt, it almost felt like um, the way it was scripted was, it almost felt like we were meant to know those characters in the, in the elevator. Yeah. Kind of. Like, yeah, was, that, the- was that a reshoot and they couldn't get like, uh, or maybe it was something you know, was cut. <laughs> like maybe there was something that was cut. Cause I was reading on, on IMDb. Apparently Michael Palin was like in this movie as a author who liked to support the store. And then like, like, you know, there's the character, like the the lady who's like yeah i i'm coming support the store and then she's got a signing at the bookstore the big one oh right yeah there was like michael palin was that character and had like a whole arc huh yep yeah that cut from the film. doesn't have doesn't have another scene after that yeah initial one right so she also disappears uh, yeah she I, just you, you just see a poster with her face on it yeah in the fox bookstore showing that she has flipped sides right yeah because because she's got to make money and wants to sell her book so <laughs> can i move to cuts because there's something Please. that i would oh, like yeah. to, to cut that i found really irritating sure it's the it's a scene where 
um, Kathleen goes into Fox Books and sees all of the wonderful things that Fox Books is doing. Like she she's noticing like the kids are having a great time and all this kind of stuff. Like the the scene sort of plays off as if oh look like it, it almost read to me like oh look look how wonderful capitalism is <laughs> you know <laughs> like it just and like oh, it this... felt like it, it felt like I mean she's kind of like I, I mean you can make the argument that she's at her lowest point and it makes it even worse because it turns out that the bookstore that that Joe built isn't that bad after all. Uh, but the, the, the movie, I don't know, like it seems, it seems to want you to be sympathetic to both the, the, the big box store as well as the little shop, um, which is fine. You can be sympathetic to both, but I think in a, in a romantic comedy, it's, it, it's easier and, and probably a bit more fun to, to play one off as, is more of a clear, uh, antagonist or well i'm i'm going to i don't disagree with you i'm going to start with that but i am going to uh posit why that scene is there and i'm going to tie it all back to her favorite novel pride and prejudice um because she and uh joe are represent the pride and the prejudice in their relationship and he is too prideful not to antagonize her and drive her out of business and she's too prejudiced to see that his bookstore might actually be a good thing and her going to the bookstore after her store closes and seeing that it's not as bad as she thought it would be and that like they have a great children's section and they are you know encouraging children literacy and the kids are all having a good time that's that's her having her prejudice wiped away. That's her realizing, oh, I was wrong about this in a very fundamental way, and I didn't give this person and this store a chance. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily a good choice, but I'm saying that that's, I think, the choice that the that the story was making there. Yeah, I mean, part of it might be my own personal politics getting in the way here. Because that's, I, I had a, my politics definitely, like, this bristled my, you know, anti-capitalist feathers pretty, pretty uh, thoroughly. Um, yeah, yeah, this, this just, thing is yeah, like... Because, like, she... There's never any... Um, the, much like, you know, the, the whole uh, uh, manipula- manipulation never gets any kind of resolve... I never. I don't feel like her store closing gets ever any kind of resolve either. No, it's just it closes, and then like a week later, as a uh, late '30s white New Yorker in the '90s, a huge opportunity has come knocking, and now she's a children's author. Like that's just how yeah. it happens. <laughs> yeah, because that's super realistic. Yeah, it, it's just yeah. I find that, like those those tiny things. Like they just this movie just doesn't want to close off its loose ends, and it's very frustrating. The only thing yeah. it wants to close off is getting them together, and it it keeps like by the end of the movie, it's racing to get there so quickly that it it <laughs> yeah. literally it's it's just bailing stuff over the side to to get more speed. <laughs> like there goes remember, all the side characters. Like, there goes the store. There goes like everything is just getting jettisoned. Yeah, when they when they get to that that last scene where where he's walking his dog and the, and she sees him in the in the park and I was like I was like, "Oh wait." I was like I like are they ending this now? <laughs> and then sure enough, like yeah, it's it's done and over and we pan up to the sky and all is well and love yeah. prevailed. My yeah. my big cut for this movie is basically act 3. Yeah. Yeah. 
like yeah, I'd agree. Or carve just... that out and and start from scratch is basically my opinion. <laughs> um, a small cut for me, but the like the I mean, it's fine that they've got a bunch of AOL product placement in this movie. Like that's it's about being online. It's named their tagline like that's i begrudge it not for promoting aol but the scene where he holds a visa card like literally over his face like that he's like come on you can use the visa card can't you and it's just like he holds it over his like charming tom hanks smile and it's just like the big eyes over (laughs) over the (laughs) visa card was was yeah um couldn't couldn't handle that one yeah like that like again that that scene lets Joe get away with <laughs> like being kind of a he's just like belittling this uh, th- that store clerk and, and yeah I thought movie, he was gonna swoop like, in and just like pay pay for it and be like pay me back later but he just yeah. he shows up and bullies the cashier yeah <laughs> oh inter- interesting side note that cashier is Sarah Ramirez from uh, uh, Grey's Anatomy. That is true. That was her, uh, that's actually her very, she, very, very first role. Yeah, before she got big. Well, it sounds like we really have uh, maybe isolated a lot of the problems with this uh, with this film, and I think we've got uh, plenty to work with here to shape it up into something uh, much more uh, uh, in honor of uh, the uh, 1940 film, uh, The Shop Around the Corner, <laughs> and not uh, the 1940 film Gaslight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, is happy to be partnering with Seat Giant to offer you a deal on tickets to major sporting events, big concerts, popular theater throughout North America, and much more. Whether you're at home or on vacation, check Seat Giant for tickets to the hottest events. Visit SeatGiant.ca to find tickets. Use promo code APN at checkout to get 5% off your purchase. You'll save a bit, and the network gets a little cut of that purchase, too. All tickets are in Canadian dollars, even for events that are in the U.S. Seat Giant is Canadian-owned and operated, and it guarantees every single ticket. So, help yourself to a great experience while helping the Alberta Podcast Network and a Canadian-owned business. Visit SeatGiant.ca and use the offer code APN. Alright, we're back. Let's fix this turd. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Scott, you usually start this section, so so lay it on us. Sure. Um, I had mentioned last half that uh, I would like to cut the whole third act. And I think that that's because the most problematic part of this film is the third act. And I propose that the way you fix that is something you even kind of touched on in the first half too, which is that there's no point where finally Meg Ryan finds out who Tom Hanks is. And there's like fallout from that. And I think that the third act has to begin with, her fine like in the second act he finds out who Meg Ryan is and that that creates an interesting conflict but then at the beginning of the third act he reveals who he is and she is betrayed because she feels like he's been manipulating her and he's been lying to her and that sets up a third act where he has to grow and she has to grow and they have to kind of grow back together and rebuild their relationship on a foundation of trust rather than the deceit and the manipulation that the movie has. I think that that's where our third yeah. act goes. And that's, I think that I, there's, yeah, that's the most direct line to a, a reasonable fix, I think, and keeps it kind of more similar to classic rom-com tropes. 
Yeah, and I feel like there's room for the side characters to have a part to play in that third act, too, because if Meg Ryan has shut out Tom Hanks, at least temporarily, then she's going to need someone to go and talk to, and he's going to need someone to go and talk to, and there you can bring in some of those interesting side characters again to bounce off of them and to get them set on the path towards reconciliation. And obviously, the internet's going to have to have a role in the reconciliation, I think, like, when she finally reaches the point where she's ready to talk to him again, she sends him a message, and he's got mail, and yeah. that that starts them off on the road towards reconciliation. I think there's something there that's much less problematic than what we get in the actual film. I think there's there's characters that are, that are pretty much locked and loaded uh, to help um, Tom Hanks along on his journey. Uh, for example, is his father, who's who's you know terrible at relationships. He's he's constantly um, getting married and, and remarried and divorced and re-divorced. Uh, I think there's also an opportunity to make his father kind of the worst version of Tom Hanks. Like he's, yeah, he sees he, he sees his future self. Exactly. And, and, you know, that, that whole scene on the boat where, um, where they have a discussion about, um, about his dad's relationships and stuff like that. There's, there's really, that's kind of felt like to me, like it was a missed opportunity to really just sort of like hammer home what could be in Tom Hanks's future. If he just, if he just lets, lets himself, you know, continue to manipulate, um, uh, Meg Ryan and things like that. I, I think you can also like shape his father's uh, relationships so that he he comes off as kind of like a manipulative jerk. And I think that it also wouldn't be a terrible idea to have his father kind of represent the worst of of corporate America, or, or at least the it, represent the ills of it, so that um, there's some contrast between um, how. Tom Hanks wants to run the business and how his father wants to run the business. And, and, you know, um, Tom Hanks, you know, maybe is, it's, it's a little bit less interested in, in being like this guy who just wants to rip apart, uh, the mom and pop shops. Uh, whereas, um, his dad's the one with the killer instinct. Well, I'm okay with him starting out at that point, but then yeah. seeing the harm that he's done to Meg Ryan and to her, and to her livelihood makes him reevaluate that and see the the actual harm that he can be doing. Yeah. Because he empathizes with her in a way that he's never empathized with any of the other bookstores that they've shut down. And it, yeah. it makes him reevaluate things. I also think yeah. that this is an opportunity to bring back the kids because uh, his aunt and his brother both connected with her in the bookstore in the first act. And now the, they can be uh, a force towards driving him to get back in touch with her and to remember what he likes about her because they miss her. They think she was super cool and they're wondering why they can't go back to that bookstore and whatnot. Yeah. All of this can, but what you both described can happen not in an elevator with a character we've never seen before. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I feel that there's room for him to have another conversation with, uh, with Dave Chappelle in the third act too. And, yeah. and I think maybe he's, he replaces the elevator guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a million characters that could have done that. It was so that was such a weird choice. The the fact that the the uh, epiphany comes from a character we've never seen from or heard of again. 
Um, yeah. I do have an alternative, uh, an alternative pitch for uh, fixing up the third act, though, uh, as I was watching this, because the most fun is when he's being a little bit deceitful, like when he knows, but he's not like actively manipulating her. He just he gets to the truth before she does. And I thought it would be fun that they don't explore. Uh, and you could definitely rope in all the side characters with this. Uh, they both find out but don't know the other one knows where she has like she also somehow uh through through a peek in the window or something realizes or something he like he sees her but he says something that she recognizes uh or whatever you know there's a million ways you could do it but where they both are playing each other on these like two feel and they don't real like because then then they can be as egregiously lying and and manipulative and duplicitous as they want because they're both doing it yeah i admit that it's power imbalance out yeah yeah i I also admit that it's kind of funny because they're suddenly playing a game of i know that you know but i don't know that you know that i know yeah uh, against one another and that's admittedly kind of funny yeah but that the friend the friends can get involved but that takes us all the way back into the second act, and now we're we're rebuilding much more of the movie. Yeah, well, we're not. I we like, don't actually I have to write it, so you know, blue sky. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just I'm just saying that that's that's a much that's a much more fundamental fix. Oh yeah, than just jettisoning the third act. I, I think it's I think it's a good fix though for uh, for resolving some of at least some of the power imbalance that's occurring. Um, and, and doubling and, down on the fun, and, like yeah, and that and 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 it also it also sets up, um, uh, Meg Ryan's character for having to learn and grow as well, right? I mean, if they're if they're both, if they if you know if they're both um, being manipulative or, or whatever, like the, the movie kind of posits them that they're that they're they're kind of two sides of the same coin right so like if they've both got to kind of learn the same lesson i think that is a, a fairly good theme for the movie to to travel on yeah that's, that's a very fair point yeah yeah that's my that's my big my big rewrite um the other the other one i had and i joked about this in our group chat already but i want to see uh i know it's been on broadway and i know it's a remake but i would i think it's funny if the 2020 version of this is a jeff bezos type billionaire uh runs the heather reisman type millionaire uh, heather reisman being the ceo <laughs> of chapters indigo out of her chain bookstore business and it's just like a quirky you know uh small neighborhood millionaire being courted by a literal fucking billionaire yeah there's um, um there's with a, all the there's, egregious rich white people bullshit that this movie has there's an onion article that i had shared with uh, greg and liam this afternoon, uh, which I stumbled across, which discusses Fox Books going out of business because of Amazon and how it's suddenly in the position of the shop on the corner. And it's just mostly filled with hilarious callbacks to the movie itself. Yeah. Uh, and we all had a good laugh about it. So uh, if you enjoyed this movie or even just watched it with us, um, it might be worth checking out that Onion article. It's actually yeah, we'll maybe put, it, put a link up funny. to it. But yeah, I, f- I feel like there's just a at least a, maybe a parody, uh, if not a legitimate movie, to be made from this. This just repeating itself on a larger economic scale. So, 
Yeah, the uh, the weird unspoken tragedy is that in the end, uh, Joe Fox gets his comeuppance after this movie when he is almost certainly driven out of business by online book sales. <laughs> so kind of a sad movie in retrospect. Oh, no. I did think that this it was funny that this movie um, was lamenting the loss of snail mail in 1998 and i was kind of like well wait till they see what happens to books <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh and greg kinnear's character uh is a journalist and uh yeah journalism has taken an interesting turn in the ensuing yeah. Years as well. <laughs> yeah 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 with the benefit of hindsight there are very few characters that uh, that will end up being uh, well off <laughs> by the time 2020 yeah. rolls around. Oh no, they're pretty much all screwed. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Yeah. That that no. the Except the maybe scene Parker where they're Rosie. all. I think she'll be her probably be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also that I mean that girl, the little girl, had some pipes on her. She's probably like an Instagram star at this point. Well, at the very least, sure, she's like she... an heiress to the Fox yeah. fortune. So. Yeah, and Steve Zahn just gets by on his chime because that's uh, that's kind of yeah. just what Steve Zahn does. Yeah, yeah that part. Although ironic, ironically, real Steve Zahn has been missing in action for a while. So. Did anyone else find that the score was kind of all over the place? Like the the songs that would punctuate each scene, like the old pop songs, but then also the like the straight up movie score was just like it's just all over the place. Yeah, the I, opening song slapped, and I then the rest of it was. One of my notes that when uh, early on was um, the movie the the movie soundtrack is really plucky like kind of almost obnoxiously plucky yeah and it, and because I was so bored I found it I found it kind of an irritating contrast because <laughs> yeah. because clearly the soundtrack s- thought that what was going on was more exciting than what I was actually watching yeah Nita actually also pointed out the uh, the weird soundtrack to the film and how it was really hung up on on strange oldies and like classic songs that yeah super appropriate to the situation oh that's that's what i'm talking about like the the first one was really fun like i forget what it was but i'm like this is a fun way to start a movie i'm into it uh and then the fact that like every two scenes it was starting it with like an oldies like a, an up-tempo oldies song i was just like no fuck off like, <laughs> well especially yeah. about a movie that's fundamentally about like how a new technology is impacting two people's ability to form a relationship to have music that's so rooted in the in the oldies is kind of a weird choice you think they'd have gone with something a little more contemporary yeah um the 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 cranberries got in there and they were kind of contemporary Hmm. uh that's about the only one i can think of um i mean a, a lot of movies have kind of an eclectic um, especially rom- rom-coms I find have a, a pretty eclectic uh, soundtrack so it's not it yeah, it's not way off base a, lo- a, a whole lot but um, I don't know I, I guess I, I mean I guess if your movie kind of hinges on on um, cutting edge quote unquote AOL technology then <laughs> maybe maybe you need some more cutting edge music I don't know if it would have improved the movie all that much let me ask you guys this, just because I think we're winding down. I think we fixed this movie in 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 like five seconds flat, and now we're just like fighting for time until we <laughs> yeah. I think we really comments, but, but like, the wait, chase here. like what is like it, when it comes to rom coms, are are you a fan? 
do you enjoy a good rom-com? Is it is it a genre that is in your wheelhouse? I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with them because there are some rom-coms that I legitimately enjoy because they're quirky and they're funny and they're charming. But there's almost always problematic aspects to them. And that's kind of a shame. And that's like that's the case here, but that's the case with so so many rom-coms, especially older ones that were made contemporary to You've Got Mail. Usually there's mm-hmm. there's some seriously problematic aspects that need to be parsed out. Um so on the one hand, yes, I do like a rom-com from time to time, and on the other hand, you I'm usually left like tugging on my collar and making side eyes at Anita as we're watching it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I I like romantic movies. Like, it's definitely not a cynicism thing. I like a good romance and a comedy and, uh, you know, r- peanut butter and my chocolate, a romantic comedy. Uh, but I, I I find a lot of them, and it even bleeds into just regular comedies. Um, it's just too many rich white Americans doing rich white American things that, like, it just, it, it sometimes it's just, like, too slick and too like without the, the their problems aren't interesting like either give me yeah, real down to earth dramatic problems or give me space invading aliens like i really like you know i, I think that's and i can stomach a visa product why... placement somehow during a, an alien invasion more than in a situation like this like it just yeah i think that's probably part of the reason why most rom-coms have to hinge on some kind of premise like for you know the in the case of you got mail it's this it's <laughs> they're really just hinging it on email and that's the interesting situation but a lot of a lot of rom-coms gotta have that they gotta have that hook you know whether it's whether it's a lot of them are centered around weddings for example um you know the the the, the bridesmaid is wants to get with the the groom or you know some kind of like dumb hook like that or uh, and and it's I think you're right, Leon, that the the formula is kind of played out and dull because it's the same um, economic class of people in yeah. movies all the time. So like they have to keep looking for dumb hooks to try and make it the same formula interesting again. Whereas if you you know spent some time giving you know rom-coms to different writers from different backgrounds um then you probably wouldn't get nearly as stale so fast yeah yeah these these movies are the the fox books of movies like it's just got this like broad sameness yeah yeah could you could pretty much play mad libs with a uh rom-com template and uh spit out a rom-com movie every year yeah yeah, which is yeah, like why, I mean that's obviously a successful in the in the when the, when yeah. the theater uh, industry was really booming is because you could just you could just pump those out. All you needed was a couple stars. You needed your Meg Ryan and your Tom Hanks. Which and you were to be fair, set. to be fair, in the eighties and nineties, you if you were making a rom com, you had Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then and then you had like your um, Matthew McConaughey's and Kate Hudson's and and those kind of peoples in 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 the two thousands. So, yeah, and, and I just I wonder what it is like about. Rom com has kind of died. I don't know that it's died, but it's definitely 
I can't think of a really prominent one in a while. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. There must people be. Are, just, are we just like just oblivious to it, or people yeah, just maybe got too cynical about them. But like, what do what do people go to, like? What is a stereotypical date movie then? In this like. I, that, that's the most single-sounding thing know, I've ever said. Uh, <laughs> what, is, what movie do you take a date to? I wouldn't know. Well, no, because you guys are, are married. Still, yeah. there are definitely still rom-coms being made because, like through th- through the uh, the 2010s, we had Ryan Reynolds was in a couple. I want to say Gerard Butler was in a few. They uh, they're definitely still getting made. I just don't know that they're. Maybe maybe it's just that we are not their target audience and we're not. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh yeah. That's, but I feel that's like I keep my part of it. my finger also, on the pulse enough to at least like s- see them come by. Like, yeah, I I don't know if they're getting the same advertising budget they that they may have used to get, and that might be part of the reason why we don't see them as much. That's possible. Also, they're being co opted by other genres too because everybody's yeah really genre savvy right now, right? So you've got movies like Catch Me With You Can, uh, not Catch Me If You Can, sorry, Ready or Not, uh, and Get Out, which on the surface are rom-coms and then get subverted by horror. Yeah, I just, I, I googled this while we were talking and there's some like, I mean, there's some, there's some crap, but the, like for the, most of them actually have something like the, that interesting take we were talking about. That interesting take is they're like dipping their toes in other genres or other like tones. You know, like Trainwreck, for example, was one that came up. And it's like, yeah, yeah that's, I mean, that movie, man, there's a movie we should do because that movie's got script problems at the nines, but it's overall a pretty, sit, like, a nice movie. Out the nines, what a weird expression. Anyway, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, I think I stopped myself from saying out the ass and then, yeah, to the, yeah, oh well. Well, I'll well, tell you who, who also isn't super into rom-coms uh, and that would be our listeners because <laughs> yeah. we only Indeed. got one comment on this particular film yeah i encourage you all if you're listening please uh follow us on uh facebook and uh comment uh when we when we're soliciting our uh listener comments uh because we will read your thoughts on the air and it definitely gives us uh, more to think about and more to share with the other listeners uh for you got mail we did get a comment from uh louise Bourne who said uh uh, I love You've Got Mail. Although with most love stories, the outcome is predictable. Tom Hank pulls off being a scumbag corporate dude, but is a really nice guy very well. Meg Ryan is good in the movie. It is meant to be a tearjerker with a happy ending. Yeah, I know that you can say that the outcome for most love stories is predictable, but it's not It's not a romantic comedy if they don't end up together in the end. Um, it's kind of the truth. Like, it's the old Shakespeare thing. A comedy ends in a marriage, and a tragedy ends in a funeral, and... If they don't end up together at the end of a romantic comedy, it wasn't much of a romantic comedy, was it? It was the breakup, mm-hmm. which was a real downer. Yeah. Tom Hanks is great in this movie. Like, he really, he's just, he's hes one of those actors, everything he's in, he just, like, becomes the character without having to be, like, make some big choice, you know? Like, he's always just, like, effort, yeah. effortlessly in the role. He's, yeah. He's also been doing a lot of dramatic movies in the past, like, 10, 15 years, and it's refreshing to be reminded that Tom Hanks is actually a really gifted comedic actor. Like, he's got he's got tack-sharp timing, and he's got a real good sense for, uh, for physical comedy and how to, like, land a line. It's just a delight to see him having fun in a role. Agreed. 
Yeah, um, he's got he's got like all these little ticks and inflections that are just um they're they should almost be uh copyrighted or trademarked <laughs> because they're just so they're just so Tom Hanksian um and like he, yeah, he just and the you know, he's just an effortless and, and brilliant performer. Uh and that's not to sell Meg Ryan short. She is also yeah. very good yeah. in this film. Yeah, she was she was fun in this movie. Yep. Very much so. Well, thank you very much, Louise, for your comments. Uh, if you want to get in on the notes having, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at I Have Some Notes. Uh, and uh, please uh, comment along. Uh, any final final thoughts, fellas? Well, we should do more rom coms in the future because <laughs> this one was real easy to fix. It <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we get if we get tired of fixing the you know the the impossible like uh, uh, Justice League or 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 uh, you know any any DC movie really like we could just we can just tee ourselves up a, a rom com just for a yeah. nice easy uh, episode. Yeah, this was a good palate cleanser after Reign of Fire, uh, mm-hmm. where we were struggling to figure out how to fix it, and then this one it's just like uh, here's a fix, done, we're good, yeah. let's go. Yeah, though it, <laughs> it, it, it begs it the question then: Did anyone at any point in writing producing this movie go like, hey? Tom Hanks is actually being really manipulative right now. Maybe this might be a huge fucking gross choice that we're nope. making. Like, no, it, I, nobody else does me. All right, I'll go back to cutting cutting limes at craft services, I guess. All right. Like, yeah, I guarantee nobody brought it up because this yeah. was... Well, it's the same on television in the late 90s. You see a lot of really problematic yeah. relationships uh, mm-hmm. where... Nowadays we look back and we go, "Oh, that dude was treating her very badly." And but this is just plain up. lying. Yeah, like it's just like I don't know. And but that was just that was weirdly just kind of like meh, forgivable in the nineties in a way that huh. just isn't nowadays. And I don't mean it. I don't mean that it was actually forgivable in the nineties. It's just for some reason audiences just kind it of happened, overlooked yeah. it. And yeah, now and we're a little more that's in the Me Too sensitive. years. We're we're a little more sensitive to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, of course, again, you can uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at I Have Some Notes. You can find our podcast feed at I Have Some Notes.com. If you like the show, please consider a rate and review on iTunes. It really does help us out. You can find all of our episodes on the CKUA radio app. Download it from the Apple App Store. Remember to check out all of our sibling podcasts over at the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We post new episodes every second week, so tune in two weeks from now for Go Go Power Rangers from 2019. Go now, yeah. Yeah, the Power Rangers the new remake. One. Not even the original one. The, the, the yeah, current which one. probably could also stand some noting, but yeah, <laughs> we're going to take on uh, the remake. Because you know what? Somebody took a look at the classic Saban Power Rangers series and went, that needs a gritty reboot. Yeah, that needs the oh, Batman uh, yeah. Begins treatment. Trust me, Scott. Uh, uh, when you when you watch it, you will not be saying this is gritty. I guarantee it. Thank you again for listening, everyone. I have been Liam Kreswick. I'm Greg Beaver. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. Keep watching this, guys. And your inbox. This episode has been brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund for yourself or with a group. 
Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on five topics, women, sexual orientation and gender identity in Edmonton, visible minority women, and senior women. Learn more at ecfoundation.org.